Morning, Calvary. My name is Thomas, and I get to be on staff here at the church, and it's my joy to be able to teach on Sundays and be able to open up God's Word with us. And we're going to continue in our study that we've been in for several months now in the book of Revelation, that last book in your Bible. And what I want you to be thinking about is the world in which we live in right now, because Revelation is giving a description of its reality. We would say it is a dog-eat-dog world. It is survival of the fittest. It is better get you some while you still can. It is a world that is marked with YOLO. You only live once. Acquire all you can. Make a name for yourself. Be successful at all costs. These are the sorts of markers of our culture, of our day, in which give reason for people to seek out positions of power and influence while throwing others under the bus and stabbing them in the back. Many of us have experienced that world that has used us for our talents, our beauty, our intellect. And then as soon as we were no longer desirable to someone or something, we were quickly cast aside. Where does that come from? Revelation 17 is going to tell us. And what is its end is found in Revelation chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Revelation chapter 17. Now, I got to warn you that it just gets more and more provocative every time we're in this book. And we are, we are climaxing now. And so the language today is vividly graphic on intention, to not just allow you to simply listen to a message, but the author wants you to feel the weight of its message. And so if you're uncomfortable and disturbed, know that I've been in it for a week already, and now it's your turn, which is great. No, but in, in all seriousness, it's so that you would feel the weight of what he's talking about so that we would not leave here unchanged. Now, as we go back to Revelation, if this is like your first Sunday with us or you've been away for a while, Revelation is its own genre that you have to kind of get your mind around. Otherwise, it is beyond bizarre. Now, Revelation is not narrative. It's not prose. It is what's called apocalyptic. Apocalyptic literature, that genre in itself, has a unique literary style that wants to communicate a message through vivid language, vivid imagery and symbolism, hyperlinking itself to a reservoir of information and past stories so that you'll understand what it's talking about. Another example for you. I had a vision last night. It was a great vision of 11 mighty warriors coming from a land of 10,000 lakes, dressed in purple, as this metal beast with two wings brought it to a city a mile high, these warriors had horns on its head, and they competed against a white stallion whose mane was a blaze of fire. What am I talking about? We're talking about later today, the Vikings from Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, they have horns on their helmets, a plane brings them to Denver, known as the Mile High City, to play the Broncos, a white horse with orange 
as an orange main. Now, many of you in the room get that because the reservoir, like we've talked about, of knowledge of NFL football teams is in your life. And so the story makes sense. I mean, it's a little bizarre, but it makes sense. Now, when we get to Revelation 17, the same sort of thing is happening, but we need to know what the land of many waters is, what the city of seven hills are, and the characters today, a prostitute and her beast, a bride and the lamb, a handful of kings, and all sorts of immorality. You excited? <laughs> Let's do it. Revelation 17, starting in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, this is of his judgments, came and said to me, there's another marker. There's like a chapter heading. We've seen this before, and we're going to see it again. Chapter heading. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk or intoxicated with. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So this automatically draws us back to a beast we've already seen with the same description, seven being a number of completeness and perfection, but this is going to be complete and perfect evil. And horns are always a sign in Revelation of power, of might and strength, and so 10 being the complete source of, of power and might of evil. So complete, powerful evil. Then the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her, cup a, or holding in her hand a golden cup. So here's this woman looking fine. I mean, dressed well, looks well, has beautiful jewelry. She's wealthy. Her cup is gold, but then it's kind of like the underbelly of it all. What, what the marketing campaign doesn't tell you about. She had a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual morality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes of the earth's abominations. And we've seen names written on people's foreheads in the book of Revelation. And it's simply a way in which you're talking about someone's allegiance. If they take somebody's name, they're saying, I'm a, I have given my allegiance to this person. I, I share in that person's ideology, in their ways, in its culture, in its purposes. And so here we have this prostitute called Babylon the Great. And she looks amazing. She looks successful. She has wealth and beauty and fame. And she rides this beast that we've seen before. Let's, let's her ride it and uses her until he's done with her. Now, let's pause and just ask the question, what is Babylon the Great? That's the first name. Who's this character, Babylon the Great? Well, we're going to need to go on a little bit of a, a Bible scavenger hunt. So here's my promise. We're going to take like 20 minutes and do some study. And I guarantee if you hang with me for 20 minutes, there's a possibility you'll understand what the text means. 
That's my weak guarantee this morning. So what is Babylon? Well, Babylon should automatically hyperlink you to the very beginning of the story. So go to the very first book of the Bible called Genesis. And Genesis begins by God creating a good and beautiful world in which he puts humanity in, in which humanity rebels against him. They're faithless. That's a, that's a word of the Bible's judgment of, of prostitute, someone who's faithless to God, does not, be, is not faithful to her husband or the creator. So they are kicked out of the garden. And so out of the garden, they immediately build a city, the city of Cain. And this city of Cain becomes all of evil and violence in which God judges the world because all of the whole world is just permeated by the, the culture of this city that devours one another, that's violent towards one another, that abuses one another. And that's where this flood comes in. And then from the flood, there's the story of Noah and his sons. And it's a re-beginning. It's a, a new Genesis story. And the very first city built out of the flood is a place called Babel. And Babel is built in opposition towards God. So this is Genesis chapter 11. And we start in verse 3. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and butamen for mortar. So this is, the, this is an early sign of human beings leveraging technology to build something for itself. Verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole world earth. And so the very beginning, the, the, the constitution of sorts of Babel, which is later Babylon, this is that beginning story of Babylon, the, the original constitution is, let us forsake God, we'll build our own city to the heavens. Babylon, Babel literally means city, or uh, sorry, gate of God, the gate of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to make a name for ourselves, why? Because we've rejected God's name of us. We don't want his name written on our foreheads. We don't want to give allegiance to him. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We will be impressive. We'll use our technologies. We'll reach to the heavens. And then it says, and so that we won't be scattered, we won't be vulnerable in that way, we'll gather together as one people in opposition towards God. And so what you have here immediately is faithlessness, idolatry at the cost of human beings. And all of these cities from the very beginning with Babel always end the same way in violence and destruction. You see, this is an opposition to what God has called human beings to be. Take my name. You're made in my image, meaning the imago Dei, the image of God. You have my image. You're my image bearers in the world. And here's, here's what I want you to do. He says, humanity, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Like, go scatter yourselves and live in all the corners of the earth. Fill the earth and bring forth out of the earth resources that worship God, that, that bring honor to God, that bless humanity, that make humanity flourish. And this is the opposite of that in this city. We'll take a name for ourselves. We will not fill the earth. We will gather in one place and we will assault heaven. Now, this place, Babel, takes on many forms throughout the Old Testament. One that I just want to bring your attention to that you probably remember is from Daniel chapter 4. We've been in the book of Daniel several times. Daniel is in literally Babylon. 
Babylon today, modern Babylon, is about 55 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq, and it's nothing. It's just a desert. There's, there's nothing there to even go look at. And so he is actually in Babylon, in exile, because Babylon has come in and conquered Judah and has brought all of these Israelites to Babylon and enslaved them and is using them as slaves to build a kingdom. And the king of the Babylon, historically, is their most famous king by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is hanging out on his, on his patio, and this is what he says. Verse 30, the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty. You see the same constitution from Babel and Babylon? This is the same constitution that has come into the leadership of Babylon to say, look how great this city that I have built on the backs of slaves at the cost of human lives for my glory and my majesty and my satisfaction and my joy. What we know from the story is God humbles Nebuchadnezzar and makes him realize that he is not God, that there is a Lord, and he is not it. There's a God, and he is not it. Now, this constitution finds its way in many nations, in many places. At the time of John, when he's seeing this revelation, at the time of Jesus with its 12 disciples, that city is Rome. It is Rome. Peter gives us a glimpse of this. This is 1 Peter chapter 5. He's writing to the elect exiles who have been dispersed all throughout the Roman Empire and outside the Roman Empire. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. And he just closes his letter with some remarks. He says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen. The chosen is the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, who are at Babylon is code for Rome. So he's writing to the churches in the diaspora. He's saying, the church of Rome sends greetings to you. This is language in which they would use of Rome. Babylon is this great harlot, the one who has seduced worlds to convince people that through any means necessary, they make a name for themselves, for their own idolatrous, faithless purposes. And so what we would say about Babylon is that Babylon is any kingdom, nation, or empire, and I would add this, or religious system that is oriented towards idolatry, pride, and self-fulfillment at the expense of others. And they look beautiful. They're seductive. They look wealthy, well-fed, rich, but in the belly of it is the lives of human beings. They have devoured people to get there. They have devoured others to make a name for themselves. That is Babylon. And this angel has said, hey, John, come follow me. I'm going to show you the great harlot, the one the, says the mother of prostitutes, the one who has given offspring all over the world to take up this constitution, to build nations, empires, countries out of this ambition. And I'm going to show you who she really is. Because, man, when you see her, you, you want her. 
I'm going to show you what she really is. I'm going to show you her end. For the Lord will not let this exist forever. And so we go back to Revelation chapter 17. And we'll pick it up in the second part of verse 6. Where he says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. Now this is the apostle John. This is the the guy who who walked with Jesus, who rested his head on on Jesus' chest on 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 the Last Supper, maybe. This is one of the beloved disciples. This is the one who's actually seeing these visions. And when he sees this woman, what does he say? Woo! Wow! He, his attention is captivated. That's the apostle John. Just put yourself in the same shoes. If John can marvel and be captivated, how about you? Yeah, you betcha I can. He says, I marveled When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, I think the angel like slapped him and was like, come to your senses, man. Wake up. Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. And so now the angel is going to unpack who these two characters are. And this is where the reservoir of, of knowledge of how we describe these things comes in really handy, okay? And so... The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. This is a counterfeit of God. We've seen this before. Jesus is called the one who was and is and is to come, everlasting, eternal. This evil was and is not, like it's been defeated. This is Christ on the cross. And it will, it will come out of the bottomless pit again to be judged and completely destroyed. So I'm going to tell you about this beast who who was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. That's where this whole thing is going. This whole thing is going to an end, to be destroyed. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Rome is called the city of seven hills or the city of seven mountains. They would have festivals in the month of September to just feast on the idolatry of Rome. And so as soon as the angel says, okay, it's the, it's the woman of seven hills, the city of seven hills. It's like calling the mile high city. And you know exactly what that is. So the, the city of seven hills, seven mountains is literally Rome, but it's more than that. It's the mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also, so yes, it is of Rome, but it's more than that. They are also seven kings, five whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. There's something that the angel is telling John that he is privy to that we can only give conjectures. And there are many conjectures of what this means either looking at the emperors of Rome, trying to add them up and figure out which one's which of the five and the one coming. Maybe it's kingdoms that have come on the earth of of Egypt and Babylon and Assyria, Greece, Rome, and looking for another rebirth of Rome. Maybe, maybe not. But the main point is not simply who these kings and kingdoms are, but that they gather 
in unity against the people of God. That's the important thing. Is that there is coming a climactic moment in which all of the nations, all of the countries, all of the places of earth will absorb the constitution of Babylon and try to assault the lamb himself. So let's go back here in verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and goes to destruction. Again, the one coming, its ultimate end, no matter how good it looks, the end is destruction. And so verse 12, and the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. Again, this is the unity against the things of God, is that all of the world turns together against the people of God, against the lamb himself. And their rule, I love this, their rule not only leads to destruction, but it is short. It's short-lived. In verse 13, these are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. So all of these kings, everything that's coming together, comes together in unity. It's a unified assault against God and the things of God. It's back to Babel. It's let us gather together, make a name for ourselves, and we will assault heaven. Again, it's the constitution of Babel, Babylon, Rome, coming at the end of the age. Verse 14, they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now, who's the lamb? We've looked at this several times. Is Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is always the answer, right answer at church. The lamb is Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God. There's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So the lamb is Jesus. And those who are called and chosen and faithful are the ones who bear the name of the lamb on their forehead. Those who are believers and follow Jesus Christ. Verse 15, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Again, a repetition of four. Number four being that for completeness of the whole earth. And so she's, she's throughout the whole earth. This isn't just in one location. This is throughout the whole world. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast. Sorry, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. Now, hold, wait, hold on a second. The chapter opened, and this great Babylon and all of her beauty and wealth was riding the beast. And this beast is characterized as the adversary, the, the animated adversary of God. And the beast lets her ride him. They both share like this scarlet color until the beast is done with her. And this is a picture of our world. It's a dog-eat-dog world. The world will let you ride her, making a name for yourself in opposition towards God until it's done with you. And then we'll turn and devour you, for that's what evil does. Evil eats itself. It eats its own that's what it does. 
You see here in verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purposes by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. God just simply pulls back the restraint and says, I'm going to let these kings, these beasts do what they want. You know what they want to do? Devour everything. Destroy everything. And he allows it to happen so that evil defeats evil until he comes and defeats it permanently and will bring his new kingdom Verse 18, if any of us were confused, it's very clarifying here. The woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. We call them world leaders. It's like, man, why are these world leaders, or why are they always fighting with one another? Taking its citizens and taking them to war. Devouring its citizens. Oh, it's because they have the constitution of Babylon in their heart. And we long for God to come make things right. And so chapter 17 is all about this harlot, this prostitute, and the beast that uses her and then devours her. That is being in the world system. Now, I told you there's another woman. The other woman is a bride. And the bride is marrying the lamb. Now, we don't have time to go into it today. We're going to get there in a few weeks. Go over to Revelation chapter 21. Again, here's one of those chapter headings that we saw. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride. So he said, come, I'm going to show you the beast. Come, I'll show you the prostitute. Now I'm going to show you another woman. I'm going to show you another animal. I'm going to show you the bride of the lamb. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away into the, in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. He says, you, you don't want to belong to this harlot. You, you, want to, you want to come out of her. And you want to belong to the lamb. The lamb is Jesus Christ. The lamb is the one who said, I love the world in all of its mess that I would come into the mess, into the great city, and allow the great city to even crucify me so that I could forgive the sins of the great city, Babylon, and make for myself a bride. And unlike the beast that kills the prostitute, the lamb lays his life down for his bride. The lamb gives up his life. He doesn't take life. He gives up his life. And the lamb is radically generous, not selfish. The lamb is radically faithful, not faithless. And the lamb is the author of life. And so what you have here in Revelation 17 is a picture of the world as we know it. Dog eat dog world, survival of the fittest. Be ready to be stabbed in the back or run over by the bus. Be used for your talents, successes, looks until the world is done with you. Or, or, here's another vision for your life. Is love the lamb. Receive grace of Jesus Christ, who died for you and loved you. And you would be called his bride. And your beauty would be that of a bride. Spotless, pure, dressed in white. And what it goes on to say is that there's a new city. A new city that's this heavenly city of Jerusalem. 
This heavenly city that comes to earth that is actually a city that doesn't exploit its people. That doesn't end in violence. That looks like a wedding feast of joy and life and creativity. A place of music and art that is everlasting. And so what you're having here is a picture of two allegiances again. Of two futures again. And you have to ask yourself, to which one do you belong? Are you a citizen of Babylon? Or are you a citizen of heaven? Are you marked by the beast and its harlot? Or are you marked by the lamb as his bride? The lamb loves you. God loves you. And has come to give himself up for you so that this would be your future. There's nothing that you have done in your life or could do that would keep you outside the grace of Jesus Christ. He has died an all-sufficient death so that anyone in this room, in our community, in our world, if they so want to belong to the Lamb, they can by the means of grace. And so this is, this is where Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, where he talks about our citizenship. And this is our question, is will we follow the Lamb and be citizens of heaven? Or will we follow Babylon and continue to be citizens of this world? But what Revelation 17 tells us is that whole system is coming to an end. If you want to know how this system comes to an end, that's next week. <laughs> but I'm going to have the worship team come now. And we're going to close just singing that song that we, we did this morning, that we wait as a bride for Jesus. And our waiting is not idle waiting. As a bride, we are busy in the family endeavor, that we become radically generous with those around us, not selfish. We become radically generous because the, the husband we're marrying was radically generous with us, that we love those even when they're our enemies, we love them. Why? Because he first loved us when we were his enemies. And we are willing to give our lives away in sacrificial love to others. For that is what the Lamb has taught us to do. And so would you all stand? And we'll conclude our service by singing.